Welcome to Hear Me Out, My Story, Podcast. A podcast about being gay and of a certain age. Each week, we deliver the best stories of gay life after 50. Now here's your host, Dean Kroll. Hi everyone. Thanks for coming back for episode 2 of my podcast. Uh, This episode, I'm going to talk about my my dad and some of the abuse um, over the years that, that happened, you know, at his hands. I felt a little odd about this episode like I felt like I wanted to put it off and I think part of that was because I really didn't want to relive all of this again but I think it's important to talk about in the context of my life and to let others know that bad stuff happened to us Uh, we can continue to move on um, and we can learn things from even the bad stuff so I don't want you to think that everything about my dad was bad. I think early on, either I was naive or things were different, but um, I do remember one time that he uh, cut some boards to stack up three little parts to them, and he built me, my brother, and my sister boats, and he painted them. They were red, white, and blue, and he made these little wooden boats that we could take down to the creek and play with. They had nails on the ends and then we put string on the nails so we could hang on to them. And I think it was I think it was a good attempt. I mean, it's funny, the the boats were top heavy so they flipped over, but um you know, that was one of the things I, I remember is him being nice or being you know, attempting to do something for us. Um so I don't want you to think that all my memories of my dad are bad. But um the other thing I remember from being very young was that uh, we either had Lincoln Logs or Legos or things, you know, that you could build different things with. And I would spend hours, you know, being quiet, sitting there building a house or or building this little compound with like Lincoln Logs. And, um, you know, and then you put your animals in it and everything. And I don't know what this was about, but my dad would, I forget what he would say, like, you know, bombs are coming or incoming or something. And he would throw pillows off the couch at what I had built to destroy it, to break it up. And, and then he would laugh. And I don't really know what that was all about. I think he thought it was somehow having fun, but I never saw that as, as fun. Now, I will say the one thing that damaged me a lot was bath time. And he would wash our hair, and he had this metal cup, this metal measuring cup. And he would dunk it in the bathtub and pour water over our heads to to rinse our hair. And I hated it. I couldn't breathe. I would cry. I would scream. And he would just laugh. And... The laughing was what really bothered me is that he got some enjoyment out of a child's pain. That that has that has really bothered me for a long time. And to this day I I am not uh want to go in the water. I don't swim. I don't go under the water. I don't hold my breath. I can't do any of that. So I think part of it comes from that. But and I think like a lot of people you know, you had to help your dad do things. 
And one of the things that the kids had to do was hold the, hold the flashlight or the work light. And none of us wanted to do that because my dad was always angry when he was doing something like that. And if you moved a millimeter, he, was, he would yell at you and say, put it, hold it here, do it like this. And, and he'd grab it and wrench it around. And um, so you never wanted to help him when he was working on the car or doing anything like that. Um, now, the one thing, I will say this. Um, in some ways, you know how animals know that they have a runt of the litter, whether it's cats or dogs or, or mice or rats or whatever. They know that there's one, for whatever reason, they decide not to nurse. And they know it's different. And I think as I got older, my dad knew I was different. I don't think he knew what I was, how I was different. Um, because there was a time, and this, this is when things really changed. Um, I forget what was going on. I think I was helping him stack split wood that he had that he had split for for the fireplace for the wood stove and i had i was getting splinters from it and so i was of course complaining and he called me a name he said don't be such a blank and that word i cannot say that word i cannot write that word i cannot tell you that word because in that moment that word that he called me looking back on it let me know that he knew i was different and how i was different and you think oh i know the word it's it's fag or faggot nope so um it's not those see i can say those but um after that, things changed. And I think, I think that's when he really got more violent. Now, you know, let me say that my brother and I were always the ones who got paddled, or we called it beatings because they really were beatings. Um, and one of the, you know, my dad would either do hit you with a board or his belt. And he used to go down in the garage and he would make these boards. He would take... I don't know what the, the wood is called. It's a board. He would drill holes in the one end, you know, and then cut notches or whatever for handles and um, on the other end so that he could grip it. And um, yeah, that's what he hit us with. And I only ever remember my brother and I getting hit with the boards and the belts. I don't remember my sister ever being hit. Um, but some of the times he would just hit us, beat us for, he never asked why. Like if, if we, if he got home and my mother said, beat them for whatever, he would just do it. Um, it was like, he didn't want to, you know, he just wanted to do it and get it over with and get on to dinner, I guess. But um, it was, it's a weird time. And 
you know, when my mother would say things like, wait till your father gets home, and then you'd sit on the porch, you know, waiting till you saw the car coming in the driveway, I kind of think that's part of where my anxiety started to come from, too, was sitting there, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for your dad to come home. Um, but... Um, Things got, things got even worse uh, for me in college. Uh, I was stupid, and I commuted to, to campus. If I had to do it all over again, I would definitely try to go away somewhere, um, states away, and never come back. Uh, if I had the, the knowledge and the smarts, I would do it, all, I would do it differently. Um, there was a couple really bad incidences in college. One night, I was at a friend's house. I was 21, and I was at a friend's house, and I drove home, and it was probably 1 or 2 in the morning, and my mother was away at a conference for the church. This was over Thanksgiving. My sister was home from college. She had gone to Pitt, but she was home for Thanksgiving, and, you know, you always try to come in quietly so nobody hears you, you don't wake anybody up. I mean, I hadn't done anything wrong. We weren't drinking. I never did drugs. I didn't do any of that. And, uh, I, you know, I went upstairs. And I heard him say something to me from the bedroom. He, his bedroom was downstairs and then my, mine was upstairs. It was just like a half a story. It wasn't a full story. So, um... You know, he must have said, where were you or something? And I, I was probably being smart and flippant. And I said, nowhere or none of your business or something like that. Well, that set him off. And he came charging up the stairs and into my room and grabbed me by the throat with both of his hands and clamped down. And I couldn't breathe. And... He was squeezing and shaking me, and in that moment, all I could think of was air. The only word in my head was air. I need air. And I passed out. And that's when he let go, and I fell onto the bed, and I, you know, I came to. And I since, you know, heard that it only takes a few seconds for someone to pass out, when you cut off their air and I, and I'm like, I can tell you that it, yeah, it only takes a few seconds. And of course, you know, I'm crying and carrying on and he wanted to know where I was and what I was doing. And, you know, I called my friend's house and I, I talked to her mom and I said, could you tell my dad where I was tonight? He doesn't believe me. And she did, you know, but he was, uh, he was pretty nasty to her. And that's kind of where it ended. He just, uh, hung up the phone and went back to bed. And it was, you know, those sort of things that happened that like that, that where they just started real fast and then they ended real fast and you didn't know what was going on. And, um, you know, high school, I want to go back a little bit. Be, high school before going into college was when, you know, I said things changed. My dad got violent at that point. Things went from the boards of the belts to his hand. And I say hand, I, I actually mean fist. So 
he would hit hit you with his fist. Um, you know, you either got punched in the eye, punched in the face. Well, actually, you probably got punched in the mouth more, and or the nose. Your nose would bleed, and then you you know when he punched you in the mouth, you know your teeth would cut your inside of your cheek or something, and of course you're bleeding. Um, you know, and that was that was always fun. I'm um, sorry, I shouldn't say fun, but it was always scary, you know, when you got hit and you saw the blood. But um, I think part of me being a middle child, maybe I was I was also learning maybe sassiness or to stand up for myself. And I started, I, I would intentionally at times push his buttons. Um, but what I learned... I learned how to duck the fist or what I really learned was that if I had a comment, I needed to be running and say it over my shoulder as I was running away because uh, at that time my dad couldn't catch me. I was too fast. But, you know, back to college when, you know, this stuff happened and, you know, there was that night that he choked me. And then I had worked at the bookstore on campus, and this was a Saturday. And I got home from work. I think we closed, you know, noon, 3 o'clock maybe. I don't remember. And I had plans to go play softball with a group of friends from college that, that I was involved with. And, you know, we were going to play softball. So I come home. I come upstairs, and my mother is sitting in her chair crying. My father's sitting in his chair like it's a throne with his hands on the arms and his hands gripping the ends of the arms and the TV is on. And I just looked in the living room and I shook my head and I said, I don't have time for this shit. I said it to myself. I didn't say it out loud. And I just turned and I went upstairs to my room to change and get ready to go play softball. And, you know, a minute or two later, my mother comes upstairs and she's crying and carrying on and I'm like what's going on and she said that he had threatened to kill her and I said what and she said yeah he's gonna kill me and I said are you serious and she said yeah he's he's gonna kill me and I'm like I said I, I don't know what to do I said you can call the police I don't know if that's what that's gonna do I said the only thing I know to do is to call our minister and I said, can I call him? And she said, sure. And I called and I left a message because he was out. And I asked him to call or stop by the house, you know, when he had a minute. Um, and my father heard me on the phone. So he yells up the stairs, who are you talking to? And this is when I said, none of your business. Well, he comes charging up the stairs again. And I, I grabbed my softball bat that was there and I stood in the doorway of my room. And this is the first time that I really looked at his eyes. And he had those dark, empty eyes. And if you've ever seen them in somebody, um, my ex had them a few times and they're not dilated. Um, they're just dark and they look, you look into those eyes and there's nothing behind them. And you think in your head, oh no, this person has snapped. And I stood there with the softball bat feeling or pretending to be stronger than I felt. And I said to him, 
I said, you're not coming in here. I said, you're not touching me and you're not touching her. And I said, because if you do, I'm going to beat you with this bat. And um, we just stood there staring at each other. And he eventually turned around and went back downstairs. I think he believed me. I'm not sure that I would have done that. Um, but he went back downstairs and um, I went to play softball. I know that sounds cold, but over the years of, of trying to work through all of this stuff that was going on, I was the, you know, uh, there's a point where you have to t take care of yourself and you have to separate yourself and say, I'm not my parents and my parents aren't me and I am not responsible for their problems and they're not responsible for mine. Um, but what I, what, what, so eventually what happened, what, what we found out later was that my dad, uh, had gone up to feed, he had a horse and he had gone, it was just up in the, you know, on our property and he went up to feed the horse one time and evidently the horse kicked him in the head and knocked him out. You know, my mother was wondering, you know, she hadn't seen him come back. So she went up, found him, you know, called an ambulance and in all of the testing and everything that they did from the horse kick, the concussion and everything, they found out that he had a severe chemical imbalance and he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And while that sort of gave an answer to the behavior, it didn't help with those experiences. Um, but it did help to know that when I looked at him and I said, there's something wrong, I, I knew that I was right. And like, uh, if you read about schizophrenia, um, I read that oftentimes they have a trigger color. Red is this common. And my dad's trigger color was red. Um, as an example, he would see a red car on the television. And he knew then that my mother was having an affair at work with the guy who had a red car. Now, my mother worked on campus. She was 50-something at the time. There was no 20-something on that campus that wanted to have an affair with a 50-something woman. Um, but my dad would sit outside work trying to catch her in an affair because the TV told him and the TV talked to him. That's how scary schizophrenia and mental health disease can be. Uh, he was, uh, he went into therapy. He did get medication. He's still on medication. And the last time I was really around him was at a cousin's picnic and or no, I was in the house for for a holiday too, I think. He hums all the time now when he's working or in the kitchen or doing whatever. And I thought, go ahead and hum. At least you're not violent anymore. Um, so there was all of that. And, you know, I think that some people will probably say things like, um, well, that's how they were raised. That's what they knew. So that's what, how they disciplined their children. They, they beat them. And, you know, to a point, I think that's true. But at some point, I think as an adult, you have to become self-aware of what you're doing. You have to want to change. And you have to realize that what you're doing to a child is abuse. I mean, this is not 
the normal way to correct a child. Paddling, sure, maybe swat on the butt, but beating a kid with a board and a belt till they're bruised? Uh, no, no, not at all. Um, and some other people might say, well, you know, they were doing the best they could. And, you know, that is true. Also true. You know, I think about how old they were when we were kids and how old I was and what I, you know, at the same point. And again, um, you have to then also be willing to, as an adult, be self-aware and want to grow and learn something about raising children. Um, and certainly hitting a child with a closed fist is not okay. No matter how much you think the person is, is doing the best they can. Um, and so part of my self realization came when I would visit friends or I would stay at friends house overnight or something. And I would see how they interacted with their families. And that's how I began to realize that what was going on in my house was not normal. And, um, I, le I learned through observation and, um, you know, my parents could have done the same thing. They could have observed, they could have watched other families, they could have seen other things and said, hey, what we're doing is not okay. And they could have changed if they wanted to. Um, when I learned um, the word dysfunctional and I had a name for what was going on in the house, I felt liberated. I had a name for it. I had a definition for it. I could learn about it. And I could figure out how I could help myself. And um, I'll get into more of that maybe at another time. But I think that's all the time I have for um, right now. I try to keep these episodes to 15 to 20 minutes. Um, but I want to say, if you are a victim of abuse, please know that I do. I care. I've been there. I know what you're going through. Um, you may not think that there's anybody there to help you that you're on, on your own, but, but there are people, there are people out there who, who will help you. Um, and I just want to, I want to give you the number for the national domestic violence hotline. Um, and, and I looked it up. You can call or text them and their number is 800-799-7233. I want to thank everybody for listening and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.